Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Lungo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Doing Well. And on this week's episode, we're going to talk about Calm MO, an integrative approach to mindfulness. On this show, we've talked about mindfulness a few times, but I think this time we're talking about it on from a very different angle. Um, and so I'm excited to talk about our guest of the day about this topic. And so I'll introduce him and also get him to introduce himself to our audience in a little bit. Um, Greg Henrique is PhD, author of a, U- a New Unified Theory of Psychology, directs the Combined Clinical and School Psychology Doctoral Program at James Madison University. He is a licensed clinical psychologist with expertise in depression, suicide, and the personality disorders. He has developed a new meta-theoretical system for psychology articulated in many professional journals and is now applying that system to researching well-being, personality, and social motivation. And he and his students are working on the development of a general system of psychotherapy. Very impressive background, Greg. How are you today? And thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, I will note that I'm no longer the director of the program. I voluntarily stepped down so I could pursue some of that, but the rest of that's it. Oh, cool. <laughs> in, 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 yeah. Um, but yes, uh, I, I'm i interested. Uh, I'm both a clinical psychologist um, and a theoretical psychologist, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm trying to figure out well, what we mean by psychology and psychotherapy, um, and then what's the core aspects of that. And I really look forward to sharing with you Mm. this COMMO model we developed and wherever else this uh, conversation takes us. I'm excited about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, So out of curiosity, how did you get to do the work that you are doing right now? It must be, it must have been a long, you know, professional journey and with lots of twists and turns. And I I wonder why you chose to do this work. That's a great question. Um, I've been called into this field since high school. So uh, I, I haven't uh, I'm not one of those folks that struggled. I sort of knew, uh, and that's both at my head and my heart level. Um, so I like to say I'm sort of a, I have a feminine heart that likes to uh, focus on healing, particular healing in the psychotherapy relation. I, I sort of have a physicist head and I want to understand the world um, uh, from a scientific perspective. Uh, and psychology was the right place for me for that. Um, early on, I adopted sort of a, the standard version of science in the field, um, what's called kind of a behavior method science view, which is like, hey, we need empirical evidence to support our claims. Uh, we need to apply the methods of behavioral science to that. Um, I, I thought that there were the behavior and cognitive therapies um, seemed to have more uh, evidence to support that. I believe that in undergrad, I, I sort of align with the pragmatism of that. Um, then my world changed a bit when I got into my master's degree. Um, I learned a few things. Uh, really, I don't think it's fair to say that the cognitive and behavior therapies do better. Um, actually, I think there's what's called a common factor. Um, that is, uh, and I can talk to them about that. In fact, COMMO comes out of uh, some of that. 
and that I think all of the key uh, major schools of thought uh, have cool things to say about the condi human condition, um, inform us about what's going on. But they don't speak together. They, if you zoom out, they they you know they land at a guru. Like for four years, I worked at University of Pennsylvania with Aaron Beck. Um, he's known for cognitive therapy, uh, sort of one of the founders of that. So that's why he's a good example of a guru who finds a model. Um, but cognitive therapy is just one approach. There's family systems therapy. There's emotion focused therapy. There are behavioral therapies that focus on uh, fundamental change of you know, habits and things along those lines. And of course, there's psychodynamic therapy. Um, what I saw was that there's a general core factor, a lot of key insights, but I got into this, well, why, why is it arranged by schools of thought and gurus rather than the science of human psychology? Like, why, why don't we go to the human psychology and then utilize that as the general model and then look at empirical findings and then analyze the human condition through that? And uh, that was my first really, that's how I really got started on the journey I was. Mm. Um, and uh, something may surprise your listeners, but there is no human psychology. Mm. How so? What I mean by that is, is that there's no real science uh, that is, um, that's clear about what it means. Okay. So the example I use is biology. So if you ask a biologist, what's biology? They say, oh, it's the science of life. And you say, well, what's. What is that? It's like, well, that's a set of living organisms. And yeah, we, there's some things like viruses where we're like, hey, is that COVID virus, is that alive? It's like, sort of. So it's okay that there are some things we don't have a super price, precise definition of life, but nobody wonders whether biology is about the science of life and what the thing in the world that that's a science about. Well, you get up to psychology and that changes. People have very, very, very different ideas, ex experts. Um, full-fledged sci psychological scientists and practitioners have very different ideas about what the word psychology refers to in the world. Mm -hmm. um, there's no consensus. Um, and actually, that happened pretty early on in the field. It's actually identified in the literature. The technical term for it's called the crisis in psychology. Uh, it's identified as early as 1899. <laughs> wow. That's a long time ago. Um, and we never solve it. Uh, and that's a, I, you don't need to get into that, but that became a, a real fascinating professional queer. Why? Why is this word so hard to define? Why is this field so hard? Uh, why is there so much different opinion about what it's about? Uh, why do we never get a clear understanding? Um, that's been my uh, life's passion uh, has been uh, what I call, I updated the term to call it the problem of psychology. So the problem of psychology is that actually in the rest of the natural sciences from physics to chemistry to biology up to neuroscience, there's a pretty clear thing in the world that the science is about. And then as soon as we get to, those are hard sciences. And in part, the way they're hard, isn't that they're just difficult, but they ground themselves on a consensus about what the thing in the world they're about. Mm. And then that hardness dissipates, becomes soft. And then there's an, all this disagreement about what psychology is about. So anyway, that's how I kind of got in. And so I'm really interested in, can we build a model of psychology that tells us what it is mm. and then apply that model to 
organized psychotherapy in a way that makes sense. Yeah, fascinating. Well, I think this is a fresh perspective on this show for sure. So thank you for that. Um, and um, we would we have loved uh, listening to your journey so far, but we would also like to get some recommendations from you. This is our favorite way to get to know the guests better. And this section is called, Have You Met Greg? The first question is, how, um, what is a book you would recommend to our audience? Lovely. Uh, I'll recommend Consilience, uh, The Unity of Knowledge by E.O. Wilson. Edward Wilson's a natural scientist. Um, and at least if you're kind of a book nerd at all, it's a great book, in my opinion. And he tries to say, here's how all of knowledge could be put together. I don't think he succeeds, um, but it's a really cool book. Uh, and it's one of the books I, I love. Uh, so Consilience, The Unity of Knowledge is a book that I would recommend. Okay, that sounds interesting. I'm going to have to research uh -huh. that. Uh, next one. What is a movie you would recommend? Well, I got to go back for this one. I, I, so I'll, I'll, I'll th go a throwback to Indiana Jones. Mm, the first one. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark. The first one, uh, of course. Has to be the first one. Yeah. Uh, I saw that. That was a, for, for a long time in my world. That was a... Uh, uh, a movie that I really like. If you're looking for a psychological thriller that few people know about that I really like, Equus is a really interesting, uh, it, uh, so you can look up uh, Equus. Mm. That's a cool play or a, it's a movie too mm. uh, with Richard Burton. Uh, not too many people know about it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I don't think I've heard about that before. Very interesting. It's it's an intense psychiatric thriller. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very odd theme for today then, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, next yeah. one. You're our podcast guest, but I wonder which podcast you would actually uh, recommend to our audience. Um, I haven't been on it yet, but I'd like to be on Sean Carroll's Mindscape. He's got a, a good following and a, and a broad view. Uh, and the, th the system that I built this year... Uh, you may hear me mention it's called UTALK. It stands for Unified Theory of Knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a big picture view. Uh, and I think I'd be a, I'd like to be a guest there. Yeah. <laughs> Not to pitch myself. Yeah. But anyway, I like a lot of his guests on Sean Carroll's Mindscape. Oh, yeah. That sounds interesting. Very cool. And who is your role model? This could be a famous person or could just be someone in your circles. I'll go with, uh, some, you know, I definitely have some role models in my circles, but I'll go with Einstein. Uh, maybe a little bit, but he's certainly an intellectual hero of mine uh, and somebody that I have tracked and I appreciate many aspects of both his life and wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I'll go with Einstein. Yeah, wonderful. Final question in this part. What is a course you've completed that left a really strong impact on you to this day? Hmm. Um, I took a uh, great courses uh, uh, on the history of science and great ideas. Uh, and, um, it's, a another course, actually, I recommend that and more even recently, it's not so much a, well, it's sort of a course My actually very good friend, John Verveke, uh, uh did, did a series called awakening from the meaning crisis. Uh, it's a 50 part series. I encourage people to look it up, uh, that both of those courses, um, sort of detail the history of Western ideas, um, from the Greek philosophers pre-Socratic philosophers into the Greek philosophers and the more modern thinkers, both Christian and scientific, uh, into the present day. And I love them both because they really do, they give us a, give me a frame to see the arc of ideas. So, uh, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, uh, I guess I'll go with that one as if I'm going to recommend one of them by John Burick. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating. Thank you for sharing. And now we've got to know you a bit better. So let's talk about today's topic. Let's talk about the Calm MO approach, um, especially because I think it's um, 
very new to all of us. I, I don't think I've seen this before, um, especially because we've talked about mindfulness quite a bit on this show. I'm curious about it. Before we go into that, obviously, we have to talk about well-being. That's what this show is about. Yes. So, Greg, what does well-being mean to you? Good. Yeah, this is a, a very important question. Um, uh, so I'll summarize and then I'll give you the way my system breaks it down. Okay. Um, so I, I don't think we've been a good job really defining this term. Okay. Uh, there's lots of... And, and one of the things that my Utah system really is about is def and, uh, defining things. And one of the terms that it defines is well-being. Uh, so it's devoted in part. Um, there are sort of eight core branches uh, in the system, and well-being is one of them. Um, the summary statement of what is well-being is I'll actually draw from the philosopher Immanuel Kant, who said, well-being is happiness with the worthiness to be happy. Okay. Happiness, and by this, by the way, he doesn't mean just joy. He means a deep felt sense of meaningful contentment. And he then wraps that in the worthiness to be happy. Okay. So it's not just happy and joy, and it's not even deep, meaningful contentment, but it's deep, meaningful contentment with the worthiness to be that. Okay. So I think that's an interesting angle. Uh, you talk, uh, looks at the landscape of literature. Uh, that's the unified theory of knowledge I developed, you talk. Um, and it defines happiness this way. It, it gives rise to what's called the nested model of happiness. Okay. Or I mean, well-being. Um, and it starts, the nest starts with your subjective experience of being in the world as a human being. Okay. So we're talking about human well-being here. Um, and it starts with your subjective phenomenological view, which it divides into your person side and your primate side. Okay, so you're both a person and a primate. Your primate side is the felt experience of being that you have in the world that gets organized by your emotions. Um, and you have state and trait-based emotional resonance. Okay, a state like what's happening in the situation, trait is over time, and you have both positive and negative state and trait feelings. Okay, so if we look at like personality traits like extroversion and neuroticism, if you've heard of those terms, mm -hmm. those are they really do reference your positive and negative affect system in your primate. Okay. And then of course you have positive and negative feelings that was happening in the world at the moment. So that's your, that's your primate core. And then you have your person side and the person side's a reflective justifier that then looks at this, tells a story and comes up with an evaluative statement of satisfaction. Uh, and you can look at this at the level of the parts. You can say, Hey, uh, am I happy in my relationship? Am I happy in my job? Am I happy in my personal functioning? These are the domains of satisfaction. And then overall, on a scale of one to 10, you can generally abstract. Mm -hmm. um, so this is actually the hedonic well-being or subjective well-being people have mapped this territory. That's what this is. <coughs> but this is just, this is then nested inside of your psychological and biological functioning. Okay. So in other words, your subjective experience of being sits inside of you as an organism and it sits inside of your mental functioning, okay? So then we would wanna evaluate your, to what extent is your biological and psychological functioning optimal or not, okay? Um, so we would look at your, a physician could come in and examine your biological, mm -hmm. and a psychological assessor could come in and examine your psychological functioning. Uh, and we could look at that at things like your cognitive capacities and your moral orientation and et cetera, et cetera, okay? Level, okay? 
So now you have a subjective system that's nested inside of a biological, psychological system. And then we drop you as an agent organism in a context. Okay, so then we place you in an environment and there's a material environment that has things like toxins in it potentially uh, or lots of richness that you can play. What level of safety do you have in that material environment? And it's also nested in a social environment. So what are your relationships? Uh, where do you fit in the cultural context? Uh, and all of that. So these, we got three domains so far, your subjective phenomenology of being, your biopsychoorganismic psychological context. Now you're inside of environmental context, both social and material. And then finally, you're nested inside of the values and worldview of the evaluator. Okay. So you to understand what well-being is, you have to have a worldview. You can apply it to yourself or you can apply it from the outside. And then to what extent is the individual conforming in relationship to the values and worldview? And it is this alignment that is the worthiness to be happy. So you have happiness at the subjective experience. And then if it's functionally organized, biologically, psychologically, nested in a material and social environment, oriented toward the values, then you would have happiness with the worthiness to be happy. Mm, wow, that's a very, very convoluted way of defining it, but also it has a lot of different layers. I think that's kind of like the nice thing about trying to understand a concept that uh, people t tend to generalize, right? And I think you probably have worked with a lot of people, you see that they get this wrong uh, all the time. And of course, the definition is personal to each of us, kind of how we unravel all of those layers. But um, Generally speaking, a lot of the time humans tend to either simplify, oversimplify, or kind of look at it in a different way that is not beneficial for them. So then my question would be, what are some of the biggest misconceptions do you think people have when it comes to well-being, given all of that, you know, definition you just mentioned before um, and all of these different layers of um, understanding that people should have? Right. Well, I think some people just think you should just be happy. Okay, and then they and they just have that. Oh, if I'm miserable, there's something wrong with me. I have a, a disorder. I shouldn't just be. I should just be happy. Um, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. If your life sucks, probably not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that's one of the first things is that it's just it's it's the joy of a moment, which is not really the core of what well-being is. Uh, the idea that you're trying to get to happiness rather than actually trying to be a particular way that then happiness is a reflection of. So there's a difference between the goal state, mm. okay? You want to be a particular way and then happiness follows that because happiness is an evaluation of how things are. Yeah. Um, to try to just get to happiness, I'm going to try to be happy. Uh, I think that misses, that's like saying I'm going to try to put the, I'm going to do whatever I can to get my gas tank meter to be on full. It's like, you know, the gas tank meter reads or you have a full tank of gas and then you feel good about that. Mm. Don't just try to go for a full tank of gas. That's the meter. Okay. Um, and to mistake the hedonic tone of pleasure for real well-being. That's a mistake. Um, you want a much richer conception across many different layers. Mm -hmm. And it has a lot more to do with finding meaning in life. Okay. Uh, across maybe your dharmic path. Dharma meaning like sort of the way in which you would be, do, and become towards what it is that you are meant to do or what your potential is. We can talk about Dharma in a number of different ways. Mm. Um, but fundamentally, the the orientation there, I, I think it's a misconception trying to orient toward happiness per se, as opposed to sort of an optimal way of being in the world. Um, that's a much richer, deeper, 
in the literature, sometimes you get the distinction between what's called subjective well-being, which focuses on things like happiness, versus eudaimonic. That's an old term from the Greek, from Aristotle, which more is really about optimal orientation toward the concept of the good. Mm. Okay, so the capacity to manifest virtue and wisdom in a rich and powerful, meaningful way. Mm. Um, I Certainly, we should have, in my estimation, uh, depending on what our purposes are, but ultimately as a society, we want meaning in life oriented toward the good uh, in, a, in a functional way, and then secondarily feeling happiness about our capacity uh, to arrive at that. Mm. Yeah, I think that that is so true because uh, I think that has been mentioned a few times on this show too. It's kind of like uh, that constant chase, you know, you want to look for happiness or it, the pursuit of happiness let's say in life and that's not the only thing that matters to our well-being and actually we have another show for for happiness science um so this show while it's about well-being science we find that there are a lot of overlaps so you know it's it's well-being that we talk about happiness it's happiness that we talk about well-being and um in in this context i think it's so true because a lot of people think oh yeah like i'm well means I'm happy at the moment and I'm happy at the moment means that I'm well and that's all that matters. But in fact, that's not true. Uh, it, it can be the complete opposite. You know, you're not feeling so great right now, but it doesn't mean that you're, there's an absence of your well-being. And I think that's where a lot of people are bringing that sort of toxic positivity in where you're kind of like, oh, if you're happy, then, you know, your well-being is great. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's very fleeting happiness. Um, so I think that kind of um, the, the journey that you were kind of talking about, you know, focusing on that journey of what it is, what it is that matters to you, uh, working on that and, you know, no, noticing all the different aspects in life to contribute to your well-being. That's that's really important. It's kind of hard to achieve though, um, especially when we live life without mindfulness and that's today's topic. So let's talk about mindfulness. A lot of the time we don't notice it. We've, As I mentioned before, we've talked about it a few times on the show. Um, a lot of the guests mentioned mindfulness as a practice, um, but because you develop this whole approach to mindfulness, I wonder how you define mindfulness. Sure. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate your reflections first. Let's just go really quickly back to well-being. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I, I think we just pursuing happiness for its own sake is misguided. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think a lot of, so I just appreciate you reflecting on that. Um, and it is about finding your optimal place ultimately uh, in a meaningful way in the world. And then happiness, the system responds when it's that. Uh, and, and so, um, and to me, that's being well, yeah. being well. Um, so, uh, now let's go to mindfulness. So let's just, add a, if you just go really, really broadly and you ask, well, what are the essence of mindfulness? I would say you really, you're going to find yourself in, in two different, uh, almost all mindfulness approaches. And certainly KarmaMO is falls under this, but I'm going to make some quick differentiations about what KarmaMO pretty quickly is. Um, and that is mindfulness fundamentally is, uh, about increasing your awareness of certain aspects of your consciousness. So to be mindful is is to expand aspects of your consciousness in a particular way and orient your attention toward that awareness in a particular way. Um, and sort of in a cliche sort of when, you know, get out a raisin and pay attention to all of its textures and eat the raisin very slowly and feel uh, that domain of awareness that you normally just, you know, jam a whole bunch of raisins in your mouth and, uh, and not pay any attention. So that's a classic. 
Uh, the second other feature of mindfulness is acceptance. Okay, so rather than trying to change things, um, although certainly there are aspects and there are many different flavors of mindfulness, uh, so I wouldn't. This could be overgeneralized, but generally, the mindful attitude is one of acceptance. So it's an awareness and acceptance. And I would say that that if you're going to be mind, you're going to increase your capacity to be aware, and you're going to increase your capacity for the acceptance of what is. Um, I would argue that virtually all aspects of mindfulness across a wide variety of different domains um, fall under that. Now, um, however, the, I believe that there are, well, when you get into mindfulness, there is a lot of different traditions um, that are available to you. Um, the first break that I make um, and, and is, is between, and within the Eastern traditions, you get a pretty clear break uh, between certain kinds of contemplative mindfulness and 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 then what I, I really want to then hone in on what I just call meditative mindfulness. Okay, so meditative mindfulness is the classic yeah. structure mm -hmm. where basically we're going to take five minutes, right? Okay, and we're going to shift our attention. We're going to slow ourselves down. All right, and we're going to really orient toward the witnessing function of our mind. So there's a there's a part of us that sees the world like as a witness. Um, and then we have this other part, this monkey mind that's jumping all around. And the meditative mindfulness is really about to expand the capacity of the of, of your energy in relationship to that witness function. Okay. Um, and, and we can get into that. Um, and I love that. <laughs> Although I'm not a master meditator by any means, I'm an amateur meditator. Um, but I have a deep appreciation for that, okay? Now, one of the things with, especially if we say Buddhist, standard Buddhist mindfulness is part of what that um, leads to is an investment in the witness function that then says, hey, a lot of the suffering in our world, okay, comes from the ways in which we grab a hold of and invest in our attachments, okay? So non-attachment or detachment is a fundamental approach. And it's about saying, hey, you want all this shit in the world and, you, and you're trying to resist what's going on. You can get a lot of um, bet, a, a diminishment of suffering by letting go of that resistance, okay? Mm -hmm. And orient yourself. And then meditative mindfulness really chains the muscle on the witness function. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's great and super important. And and part of what, and you talk embraces that um, on the one hand, but now that's not what we do in psychotherapy. Okay. Psychotherapy is a different approach to this self thing. Okay. It's not about letting it go, okay. but it's actually about creating a holding environment for the self. That's really what the Western approach does. And I think we need both, quite frankly. In fact, one of the mantras in you talk is toggle between self and awareness. Okay, toggle between self and awareness, yeah. and and be in a place where you can hold your consciousness in relationship to the witness function, mm. and be in a place where you can hold yourself in relation and know what that means. Mm. Okay. So, CommMO is approach to psychological mindfulness. Yeah. And what that means is it's actually going to attend to the way the self is gripping and help us understand what that self is doing rather than 
uh, although this is a big debate and there are many slices, but generally the Buddhist approach, if you stay with that, has been more like mm, the self is mostly an illusion. You have these different aggregates, you're organized in a particular way, but they're fleeting. There's no self to grip on and essentially it dissipates. A lot of debate within that, but basically that's a reasonable shorthand summary. Um, you talk basically says, well, there's a lot of, there is no fixed self in you that's controlling everything. That's true. But there's centers of organization that we need to pay attention to. And there are ways in which we can relate those organizations to that felt sense of self. And there are ways to relate to it healthier and foster its growth, development, and optimal functioning. And there are ways that we can relate to it in a less than healthy way that's going to create broken, conflicting, and dysfunctional patterns. So I'll pause there, see how that lands, and then I can proceed with commenter. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's interesting because I I don't think we've sort of discussed mindfulness in the sense that they're kind of the, the two trains of thoughts or two schools of thoughts completely. Um, and most of the time it's kind of generalized. Oh, you know, mindfulness, you pay attention, you're fully present. That's kind of like the main um, definition that has uh, been on this show so far. So I think that is definitely something different. And I think you, you mentioned that psychological factor to it. Um, and I think that's where I'm guessing that's where you kind of base it on uh, and develop this calm MO method and, and approach. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious about it. So how did you go about developing this method, and, uh, this approach? And um, what does it mean, you know, for mindfulness? Sure. Um, well, OK, uh, so it was, a, it was a fairly long journey, um, although the, the, the actual consolidation is pretty simple. Mm. Um, but it took me a long journey to get there. <laughs> Uh, to really find what really matters yeah, and, and all this. I bet. Um, so if I back up just a little bit and say, well, so I built this in theory. So I, I got into the therapy room and I, I needed this psychology and then I built the psychology theory. And then I went back and came into the various schools of thought as focused mostly on individual psychotherapy, the major schools of thought. So there are really four in Western thinking. If you really strip it down, there are four major individual schools of thought, okay? There's the behavioral school, okay? Uh, there's the human, like like uh, B.F. Skinner, okay? Uh, Joseph Wolpe, those are two major people in the behavioral school. There's uh, the humanistic school uh, and Carl Rogers. And the, and what they've, whereas the behaviors focus on sort of what you do and the habits you form, okay? Uh, the humanists focus on your core experience of being in the world. And whether that's expressed authentically or whether it's stifled. Okay. Uh, then you have the Freudian and modern Freudian view, which would be called the psychodynamic view. Okay. Okay. Which would basically focus on the core motives that you have. Psychodynamics more like power and love. Psychoanalytics more like aggression and sex. <laughs> okay. You can see the parallels there. But um, do you? How do you? How attached are you? Do you have power and love? And then what are the defenses that you have relative to your self-conscious experience of being and your subconscious feelings in the world? And then finally, there's cognitive, like Beck, which is like how you justify what you're doing, how you think about stuff, how you make attributions. Okay. So those four schools of thought are the big, in the West, big individual schools, behaviorism, humanistic, psychodynamic, cognitive. There are other schools like systems theories or psychiatry that looks at, but in terms of psychology individual, these are, these get most everything. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> what I realized 
once I built my unified theory, is rather than these as being schools of thought, they're actually focused on what I call systems of adaptation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the behaviors are actually focused on the habit system. You actually have, we can delineate inside of you. There's a great book called The Power of Habit. A lot of different, yeah. you have a core habit system. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, that operates a lot outside of sort of experiential consciousness. Uh, it gets laid down. There's basically a pairing, an associative pairing that releases trigger, that triggers a release of a procedural um, sort of output. Okay. Uh, so that's your habit system. Um, you also have a core experiential system. This is your felt experience of being as a mammal in the world. Okay, it, it's the way the perceptions that you have in the world or sit on your drives, like hunger, or um, or and your and then trigger feelings in the world. Okay, and it's organized by your emotions. So I call that your experiential system. And this is what the humanists were really talking about. Carl Rogers, getting in touch with your core organismic valuing process. It's the mode of feeling structure that organizes. Okay. Modern theory is called emotion-focused therapy. Now, Les Greenberg and Sue Johnson develop what's called emotion-focused therapy, and that's on this emotional adaptation system. So we have a habit system, experiential emotion system. Okay. Then as a primate, you're, you're both a mammal and now you're a primate and you're a very social primate. Okay, we're social primates. Uh, we come from a, a really rich tradition of forming friendships, of having kit bonds, of living in very tight-knit groups. And you have a relationship system of attachment and you judge competition and cooperation, okay? And feel power and love and autonomy, needs for freedom. And you have tensions and needs in that regard. That's called your relationship system, okay? And if I, I'll jump up and you are a self-conscious person, and you justify stuff to the world, to yourself. You talk to yourself and you try to make sense out of stuff. Yeah. And you try to say, hey, who am I? And am, am what I feel that makes sense? Okay. And what are other people going to think? And how do I present myself? That's your person persona. Okay. And your ego and your persona. And the connection between your ego and persona and all this other primate stuff, you have a defensive system. Okay. That regulates and tries to keep you safe <laughs> from a psychological immune system threat. So I've listed five systems, your habit system, yeah. okay, your experiential system. The habit goes with the behaviors. That's what they were looking at. Mm -hmm. The experiential system were the humanists. The psychodynamic people focus on your relationship and defense system. And the cognitive people focus on your justification system. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now what I've done is I've taken all these schools of thought and gotten rid of the schools of thought language and to turn them into the systems of adaptation. So I don't need to be like, oh, are you a cognivist or are you a behaviorist or are you a humanist? I'm like, I focus on different systems of human adaptation. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Well, good. So now let's, okay, so we have that, that as a model. Now let's take the next step and be like, well, what is psychotherapy? Well, psychotherapy fundamentally is about the process by which People have maladaptive patterns. I'll say that again, these are systems of adaptation and then they can go wrong. Okay. And in fact, virtually all of them have a basic similar model. And that is something starts to happen that's bad. The system starts to adjust and then it gets trapped into a maladaptive cycle. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
I'll use the example for behaviorism and alcoholism. Yeah. Okay. So you get stressed. You don't really feel good about the way things are going. You don't like your job. Your kids stress you out. You get home at five o'clock and the, and uh, actually I have a drink right here. <laughs> this little drink right here. Uh, this oh, relaxes me. Okay. And so by taking this, I alleviate the stress. I eliminate, it's negatively reinforcing, it removes the stress, but it doesn't help me solve problems. It just removes the aversion feeling. So now if I do that more and more and it starts causing lots of problems, I'm now adjusting to the pro initial problem with another problem. And that's going to create a loop, mm -hmm. what I call a neurotic loop. A neurotic loop is the way when you try to adjust to the world, mm -hmm. when you're confronted with something negative, it makes it worse. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And I argue that actually all the psychotherapies are is they look at the world through these lenses and they find patterns, maladaptive patterns, and then they develop interventions, okay, to try to identify, become aware of, accept, and reverse the maladaptive looping. Does that make sense? Okay. So now, now what we've done, notice we've gotten out of our schools of thought and identified different systems. Within the systems, they all share this pattern. Something bad happens. They try to react. The way they react makes it worse. They're in a ma the, the adaptive systems actually have problems of, a, of maladaptive. Okay, we're going to call that a neurotic loop, and we're going to identify it as having three characteristics. Negative situation happens, triggers a negative reaction, like a negative feeling, and then there's a secondary reaction to that whole cluster that makes it worse. Okay, I'll give you an example. So somebody is, you know, somebody, they don't like their boss. The boss comes by and criticizes them. Okay. And then they feel like shit, if I'm allowed to say that, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> like shit. And then you say, I hate this. I hate that I'm feeling this way. This sucks. So now you feel bad and then you hate that you feel bad. Okay. Yeah. And now you'll feel worse and then you'll hate that you feel it more. Yeah. Okay. So now that's an example of a cognitive. I hate this. I can't cope with this. This sucks. Okay. And then you blame yourself. Oh my God, why can't I cope? I'm so reactive. Or you blame the boss. He's such an a-hole. I can't believe he does this. He's so dominant. Or I blame the world. Why is the world stuck me in this unbelievably? Those are all the cognitive ways in which you can get trapped. Okay. And there's a lot there's a ways you can do it behaviorally uh, or habit-wise. You can do it experientially, emotion-wise. You can do it relationally. You can do it defensive and you can do it justificatory cognitive okay mm -hmm. well the pattern though is the same it's like they have huh okay so now we're finally what i'm trying to suggest to you is actually there's a way to identify the way you try to react to the world that makes good sense but ultimately makes things worse okay i like to say when i'm coaching my clients i say it's like bringing water to a grease fire mm -hmm. okay it's like a fire. That's a negative situation. That gives me negative feelings and I want to do something about it. Mm. Right? It makes good sense. But if you do do misdiagnose and you bring water to a grease fire, you blow it up. You don't put it out. You blow it up. Because mm -hmm. what it needs is a particular different kind of response. So you have to know what kind of responses you need to bring. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So fine. Now, we're finally getting to a place, by the way, this is called... 
the Com MO flashlight. Oh, very I'm cool. Com MO. Okay, see that? The Com MO. Okay. So, what happens to people is they get critical, they get resistant, they get irritable, they get intense, they get insistent, and they believe they can't cope. By the way, that spells critic. Okay. That secondary negative reaction is critical. Mm-hmm. The, the, I hate this. This sucks. This has to be different. The Buddhists recognize this as intense resistance, which then sticks you into the world and manifests suffering. Okay. So instead of being critical on a negative situation, negative feeling, you have to be calm. That's what this suggests. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the critical is this negative reactivity. Calm is the exact opposite at a base level. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you metacognitive observe, which basically means instead of being inside of it, I'm going to shift. That's a mindfulness shift. Mm. So I become aware. Yeah. Okay. And now what calm is, is it's both the word and then it's the acronym. Mm. Okay. Okay. So instead of getting and being closed and critical, mm. you're curious and open. The C in calm mm. is curiosity and openness. Okay. Okay. Instead of being resisted, I can't deal with this. This I, this sucks. You learn acceptance. You courageous, radical acceptance of what is. And this takes training. You don't want to learn, you know, that my significant other, I've learned that they actually are gay and they're going to leave me. Okay. Oh my God. What are people going to think? My marriage is coming apart. Okay. That's a disaster. Of course, at one level. And at the same time, with the right framing, you can learn to be present with that reality, okay? Uh, and and so acceptance what, of what is, mm-hmm. with, with courage, radical capacity, acceptance of what you feel, okay? And of course, that's a core mindfulness. Remember I said awareness, curiosity, acceptance. The L stands for loving compassion, okay? Uh, this is often referred to the meta attitude, M-E-T-T-A, uh, but in some Eastern traditions, it's loving compassion. This is the orientation that we all are born with fundamental dignity. It's a humanistic attitude that humans are valuable um, and that we will want uh, we want to alleviate suffering and we want to express agape, love in that sense, a felt sense of loving humanity. And then the M is motivated toward valued states of being. Okay. We're going to be motivated. We're not going to necessarily control, but we're going to orient ourselves toward valued states of being. <clears throat> so ultimately, what I am saying to you is that there's a common core across a lot of Western psychotherapy. Okay, Western psychotherapy, actually, all these different schools of thought, but they're actually honing in on different processes of maladaption, ways in which people adjust that make it work for them. And usually there's a secondary set of reactions that are responding to a stressor that makes them feel bad. Mm-hmm. Com MO inside of Utox, Utox says, well, look at it, all these different systems and then see the negative reactivity and then replace the critical reactivity with a Com MO attitude. That's the engineering mm-hmm. principles and processes to transform a maladaptive negative mindless reactivity to an adaptive growth promoting mindful responsivity. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's really that's really good. It, it's clear because it has the different steps to it that we can all apply. Um, and it it sounds like this is not just about the little moments, but also big events that happens in life. So it's extremely helpful. But I'm also curious about you know what about the other side? You know, we'd, we've talked about okay, these are the, some of the stressors that might happen in your life. You can you know apply this approach. And it will help you. But what about the good things in life? Because I know that for mindfulness, right, people are also um, saying, oh, you should be mindful and pay attention for when things are happening. Um, cherish the good things in life. So can this approach be also applied to that, um, you know, scenario where, you know, great things are happening, but then you don't pay attention. Or sometimes people have great things happening and they kind of like, and they kind of go, oh, something bad's going to happen. Would this help, for sure. example? Certainly. Well, uh, uh, I'll put it this way. So I, for me, when I'm working with somebody, uh, I, I position it this way. Mm. I said, we're going we're gonna to turn our ComMO flashlight on and put a basement on your suffering. So let's diagnose when you turn. Uh, and for example, if all of a sudden you, you're like, things are going to, oh no, some batting's going to happen. And I'm like, okay, that probably needs a ComMO. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that would probably be part of anything that's in the neurotic looping territory. We want to shine your ComMO flashlight on. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we want to diagnose neurotic looping. But neurotic looping is only part of it. We're both, we need both a protective system that can go wrong. And that's what ComMO, it's the, it's a, rea it's a negative reactivity that we're trying to put a basement on. But then there's the whole dharmic flourishing problem or issue. Uh, if we go to Japan, Ikigai, okay, uh, in the processes by which, how are you going to find, for me, Dharmic path is the find the path of doing, being, becoming, okay, uh, that that enables you, you know, sounds cheesy to be all you can be, but it's basically, uh, uh, this is the path of growth, promotion, and exploration. This is the path of testing your boundaries, of pursuing your passion with pragmatic realities to concern yourself, uh, to balance the various issues, but to find the path of growth. Now, I carry a pretty strong ComMO flashlight, but I definitely, it turns on when I hit stressors, mm -hmm. okay? Um, what I'm also cultivating is what my friend John Verveke calls meaning in life mm -hmm. and the expansion of meaning in life. And what that is, you feel meaning in life when you're like, Oh, you know, your your body feels what's called a participatory connection. You you feel this and you're expanding. You feel flow. You feel like this, from the bottom up of my experience, this feels really important. Mm. Okay. So we want to create in individuals a pursuit of that. I also train people that our modern society is for many individuals and really for society at large, misaligned. Mm -hmm in many of these regards, okay? It does not um, orient us, in my estimation, towards fulfillment in this regard, okay? It orients us towards a particular type of achievement and consumerism that has slices of this, but it is far too much in the doing side of the equation. It's far too much in the consumption side of the equation, and it doesn't know how to engender a profound sense of the sacred and a profound sense of, uh, of meaningfulness that has available to us. I think it actually constrains that. So I think I, I, you have to kind of get re-socialized to the possibility of finding your, to use the Carl Rogers term, your organismic valuing process through your ego into the world so that it enables you to feel 
deeply in contact with that so that you have a deep appreciation for who you can be as you grow into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that we we miss. Like it's kind of like the point that most of us miss on most days, you know, because we're humans. And so it's really easy to just kind of flow through and not pay attention. And that's such a big part of it because we don't have that curiosity sometimes, you know, when things happen, um, we automatically, and I think for most of us, we can relate. We immediately react rather than be curious about what it is that's going on. And um, I think this approach is extremely helpful in that sense, because um, I think the pausing and the having that curiosity it's hard, right? You just kind of like, totally. like you were, like you were mentioning uh, a bunch of ex uh, examples before. It's just easy when something's annoying you, you're kind of like, oh, this is annoying. I'm just going to like, you know, find some quick fix for it. That happens. Happens to all of us. All the time. Yeah, all the time. All the time. So easy. All the time. So um, with that, you know, I'm now also curious because normally people talk about, you know, the effect of mindfulness on well-being. You know, it's going to help you to stay calmer, be more present, things like that. We've heard that many times. But with this particular approach, this calm MO approach, how how would, you know, this approach being applied in our daily lives help us to enhance our well-being? Right. Well, I mean, first thing I want to be is, uh, okay, from a Utah perspective, I want to clarify what is and then cultivate what ought to be. Okay. So a lot of people to me just jump to what ought to be in a shallow way. I ought to be happy and I'm not. So I'm doing the wrong things. Actually, you may ought to be miserable. Mm. Like miseries would be if you're alone and you're investing in all the wrong things in life and your heart tells you that you're doing it all wrong, you ought to be miserable. You see, your heart's not wrong. You're wrong. Sorry. Okay. Um, and and when I and so I really believe, in other words, I, I think that there's a there's a deep and com, uh, rich question to be asked of what is real, what is the case. Okay. It doesn't. It's not like you can ask that. Oh, I now know. Okay, exactly. But you better pay attention. And what you better not do is you better not band aid over just in the pursuit of happiness, band-aid over the negative stuff you feel. Mm, totally. So the curiosity and the commitment to, and you talk in particular, and I think most mindfulness approaches, although they emphasize detachment for it, I want, when I'm working with somebody, I need to get into what is. The curiosity into radical acceptance means how do you really feel? Mm. And why? Okay. Yeah. And, 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 and it may be that, oh my God, I don't think I love my spouse anymore. Or, oh my God, I don't think this is the right career for me. Yeah. Or really, I am an imposter. I'm an imposter. Okay? And at the very least, then you sit with that feeling. You don't say, oh, no, you're not. You're fine. You're like, what is the feeling? We'll find out how right it is, but we're going to sit. And what that does is that hurts when it happens. Why do you think people are denying it? Okay? But curiosity into acceptance means you sit into what is, and you have to have courage to do that. It's a courageous stance, okay? Um, but for me, you've got to get access to what is, you know? And I encourage that across a wide variety of different domains in a deep and profound way. And it sucks. That's why you haven't done it. Okay? But once you do, then intelligence can start to operate, mm. okay? Because now you're actually grounded. Yeah. 
if you're gonna spend your life in defense mode, that's the defensive system, trying to be like, well, if that were actually true, that would be so terrifying that I would actually not really know who I was and what to do, so therefore it can't be true. Yeah. Like, well, no. You start with what you feel to be potentially is. Now, these feelings are not like scientific claims, I wanna be clear, just because you feel that way doesn't mean it's embedded. But if you feel that way, there's a part of you that's finding resonance in that reality, you better focus your psyche on that and have the capacity of curiosity, courage, into acceptance that actually holds that. Mm. Okay, that's deep. If you don't do that, you're not going to have deep, meaningful engagement with the world because you're taking huge parts of your heart and jamming them in a closet and pretending they don't exist. And that's a, that's a, we do that all the time in this world, and it's tragic. I don't do that. I, my commitment is to be in the world as it is. Yeah, definitely. I'll let that sink in for our audience. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a serious claim. I'm, yeah. and I'm like, uh, don't BS yourself. That's part of the deal. Clarify what really is, mm. you know? Yeah. Uh, and then you can then say, well, clarify how you really feel. Mm. But that's an absolutely crucial yeah. essence of yeah. part of the common reality. Yeah, I think this is beyond, you know, the the regular, oh, be, let's be mindful. And like you mentioned earlier, right? Let's sit down for five minutes and really pay attention and do deep breathing and things like that. This is, I think, beyond it, uh, a much better part of, you know, understanding who you are. And I've, I think I, as far as I've heard, this happens a lot in the therapy room as well, where you actually have to face the music, you know, what it is that, that you're feeling and why are you feeling a certain way and what is it that you're hiding? Because I think a lot of the times, one caveat about mindfulness that we don't talk about, I, I suppose, you know, from what I've seen is you're not being totally honest with yourself. And that's the most important thing is, is about paying attention to what is happening, right? But then a lot of the times we kind of try to hide the unpleasant feeling or we try to kind of shield what is true. So let's say, you know, you're, you know, you're at the moment agitated because of what's happening um, with your friend or with your spouse. Uh, and turns out it's actually because you're frustrated at yourself. Most of the time we won't go there. We won't go to the second layer. We would just go at the surface. This is what's happening right now. Um, and I think that's where, you know, we need to practice more, right? This, this, this approach is not just for the theoretical part of it. It is good to be actually applied in real life. Um, so before we move on to that you know, practical part, is there anything else about Calm Mo that you would like to share with our audience? No, no. I mean, I just really want to embrace that. Mm. Um, I, 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 I am not here. You, you talk. Is I call that mic mindfulness. If you're like, oh, I need mindfulness to take care of my anxiety and depression first and foremost. No, that's mm. not what it's about, really. Okay. Uh, now, if you, I will tell you this, if you are rightfully in touch with your world mm. and you find your, what's called your participatory identity, that's that felt sense of who I am in the world, and you find real contact with that, you will be in a robust place. Yeah. I can speak to that. Yeah. Okay. I know what that is. Mm -hmm. But I also know when I haven't been there, you know, and many individuals just want to feel happy. Okay. And, and, and that a shallow happiness is just that. Um, and and that's not well-being. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to emphasize that. Yeah. And, and COMMO and you talk is clarify what really is. And I'll say this globally, folks. Okay. We're not a good place. Okay. We're not in a good place. Mm. 
You know, I, I don't know where we're going to be in 50 years, mm. like if we're here at all. Okay. Uh, and, and, and one of the things I said, be aware of that. That doesn't mean you then wake up tomorrow all depressed because the world's falling apart. No, you do. If you are aware of this, you have to come to terms with this. Mm -hmm. Okay. But we need to wake up fundamentally mm -hmm. to where we are. Mm -hmm. And if we're just patching this over with medications or little, you know, positive thinking thoughts, we're actually just blinding ourselves mm -hmm. and it is not well-being in a grounded way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I want to get at the heart of what the most accurate and unvarnished, unfiltered statement about what is accurate and real and move from there. Yeah. That's that's curiosity it's with courage into acceptance. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think that is a fresh perspective. It will be hard for a lot of people to take in for sure. Uh, but I think it, it is important to talk about. Um, you know, I think that's where we don't mention the, the as I said, the different caveats of mindfulness. And this is definitely one of those. Um, it's I think it's oversimplified most of the time. And so this is really good for us to try to understand it from a very different perspective. Um, but as I said, it's going to be hard because we need to apply it in real life. That's the more important part, right? We we understand, I think by this point, hopefully our audience as myself, we understand the core principles of it and what it means. Now let's talk about something more practical. Let's, let's go to our practice part. Um, so you've given us multiple examples in the previous part, but... Um, if somebody is completely new to this, you know, they just learned about Calm MO today, they would like to apply it to their daily lives. Um, what is a practice that you would recommend to them so that they can try? Sure. Um, okay. So the first thing that I would have them do <laughs> is look back at their past. Okay. And then ask themselves, when did they react? Not so great. Okay. And what happened? Okay. And then try to identify the negative situation, negative feeling, and negative reactivity. Okay? And then and be like, okay, when did that negative reactivity kick in? Okay. And spend some time on that. And then what would have helped you there? What would have helped you? Okay. And, and ultimately, you would want a sage, let's say like a wise person that loves you, okay? To basically be like, hold up. Here, you're about ready to tip off. Okay. So then you can look at your old pattern and basically be like, oh, I wish a sage would have come here. Mm. Okay. And if a sage had come here, then that fight or that reaction or that stuff that then got me in trouble, <laughs> you know, down the road wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now you have that and you now have to start to say, what was I like in that negative reactive moment? And now in the future, how do I see that signature in me again? Okay. And that's why we make these calm ammo flashlights. I give them to people. Okay. And the argument is, is then once you start to identify negative situation. So for me, I mean, right now in the world that I live in, every negative situation, negative feeling immediately in my subconscious, I immediately shift to Greg instead of, oh my God, can you believe this? To Greg, like I go third person, is experiencing a negative situation, negative feeling. Mm -hmm. Okay. My attentional orientation now is that now I practice it enough. So it's like a muscle memory. I just boom, instantaneously. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And I sit 
with, isn't it interesting? So my first reaction when shit happens and it still happens to me that I don't like, my first reaction is, isn't it interesting this is happening to me? Okay. And we, if you're able to do that, you will you will change dramatically the way you relate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as opposed to, I hate this. Can you believe what's going on? What's wrong with me? This sucks. These are all, you want to, those, all those things, we want to, with loving compassion, those are things we want to let go. Yeah. So you want to practice your negative reactivity identification. You want to imagine a sage mode that would intervene. Mm-hmm. You want to imagine you in the future. And maybe I'll ship you a commo flashlight. <laughs> you can imagine <laughs> turning it on at the moment that you start to get hooked into with mindless negative reactivity to create calm, mindful responsivity. Yeah, definitely. Super cool. Love that. Thank you so much for sharing it. Um, so I think we've covered the theoretical part of it, which is probably a lot for our audience to digest, but also really important. This is new, you know, new information. Uh, We've got a practice in our back pocket that we can all turn to. uh, And I think it'll be fun to refer ourselves uh, as a third person. But yeah, I think that's actually good uh, because then it kind of gives you that neutral observation, sort of tone of voice as well. So you don't get stuck into that mode of feeling. You're kind of in that mode of, okay, observation. I see what's happening here, Lou. Um, I'm going to try and do that today. <laughs> That's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, when you were when you were talking about, um, you know, like uh, uh, thinking about what happened and and why you reacted the way that you reacted, I immediately, you know, had some big in, like interesting situations that happened, uh, kind of like listed in my brain. And I was like, oh, it it might be fun to sit down and do that. Uh, obviously, I cannot change the past, but this would really help me to you know, shift my focus and my way of reacting in the future, because I I think we're all humans and I'm, I'm sure our audience can re- relate to me in this sense. I reacted to something. I'm not proud of how I reacted, but then I still don't understand why I reacted the way I reacted. And, you know, for, for me to work on it and not do the same thing in the future, I really need to learn more about myself. Super important. I love that. Yeah. That's, a, that's really, I deeply appreciate that we're, uh, mature reflexivity and and yes i honor and, and certainly would want to enhance that yeah and hope your leader uh, uh uh you know listeners can follow suit yeah that's a beautiful yeah reflection. definitely i hope so too because uh you know i'm no expert so i'm hoping our audience would be like myself you know where they take in this information and they can actually break it down into something they are able to do you know um we are not researchers or we're not experts in such a field, but we can all apply the insights. So I think that's that's the cool part about this. Um, before we let you go, we have open mic and I know you have so many things you want to talk about. Uh, it's probably going to be hard to nail down to just a few areas. Um, but yeah, th- this is your forum. Uh, if there's anything that you haven't mentioned before, it could be about this topic. It could be about something else completely. Um, if it's uh, you know a passionate area of yours, then take it away. Go for it. Lovely. Um, well, okay. Yeah. So I, my goal is to get these calm MO flashlights into people's, uh, lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Metaphor. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I want to do this sort of collectively. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I will, uh, I'll use this, uh, to share. So this thing, uh, calm MO comes is situated in part of this larger thing called you talk. Unified theory of knowledge. Yeah. That's a really kind of like, what is a unified theory of knowledge? Um, yeah, it's like this weird 
big system. Um, but part of what the unified theory of knowledge says is that we need a collective conscious awakening. Okay. A collective conscious awakening. Why? Why do we need a collective conscious awakening? Um, and how do we frame that? Well, I, I figured out a way to think scientifically about the world in a way that is very consistent with all this mental stuff we're talking about. Okay, And that's weird because actually science, when it got a, um, came on board and reduced itself to physics, had a real trouble in getting mind in right relation. Okay, Meaning there's actually a real gap in our knowledge about how to place matter and motion in physics and have a model, a scientifically grounded model that also includes us having this conversation. Right? Well, Utah figured out how to do that. It, it, it figured out how to place physics and physicists in the same model. Okay. And what it did was it re-gripped, it reframed the core grammar of our world. Okay. And instead of thinking about matter and mind, it changes to think about an, the world as an unfolding wave of complexification. I'll say that again, an unfolding wave of complexification. And it doesn't really start with matter. It actually starts with what, what I call energy information. Like beneath matter is energy information. And that's what the stuff is at the Big Bang. Okay, So if you Big Bang, you suck all the matter back out and you suck space time and you're left with this ball of energy information. But, and then we play it forward, and then out of that energy information comes the material object universe. Okay? So we go from energy information to matter objects. And then in our trail, we go from matter objects to living organisms. You and I are living organisms. Okay? And material objects and organized energy information. And then we go from living organisms to what are called minded animals. We, you and I are minded animals. Okay, because uh, we have a nervous system and a brain that's modeling the organism, just like the cells are modeling the environment. So we get this nested model. So we're both now we're energy information, material objects, living organisms, minded animals. That's an interesting move. And then finally, you and I are also cultured persons because we justify through language a whole another set of model. So it's mind, really, this culture mind on top of our animal mind. That's what you're asking me all these questions. Like, what is this thing? Well, that's culture person. Okay. So now we go from energy information to matter object. Uh, now, why are what happens at living organisms, minded animals, and culture persons? Well, each one of those is an information processing communication network. So like genes are like these information storage things. And then they sit inside cells and then cells communicate with each other. Okay. Well, your nervous system is like an information processing and then animals communicate with each other. And then language is an information processing and you and I are communicating with each other. Okay. So each one of these things to go from living organism, matter object, and culture person is because of a novel information processing communication network. Okay. Okay. Well, look at what are we communicating through? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
What, what the 20th century did is it laid down the basic infrastructure for a knob, the internet computation. And now the 21st century is going to interface with that and fuse our lives with it. Okay. And that's going to give rise to the digital global dimension. So we're going from culture person to digital global right now. And that's changing everything. Yeah. Okay. It's changing the entire organization. It's as big a jump as going from a primate to a person. <laughs> okay. We're going from, we're writing it. And it's a big chaotic mess. Okay. So what's my message to your audience is like, folks, be aware where we are in the world. We're in the midst of this massive transition through these different planes of existence. We're going from culture person to digital global. That means all the old stuff that just worked within the culture person on a minded animal in nature is now got a whole nother architecture above it. And, and the kids are going like, whoa, rightfully so, kids. Okay. So we need to wake up. We need a different kind of mindset. If we have the old school mindset, which from modernity, we may well be in trouble because it's incomplete and misguided and it's very powerful, but it's misguided and incomplete. So ultimately my open mic section is we're at what's called the fifth joint point. Okay. Energy and matter one, matter life two, life mind, mind culture, culture, digital global. That's the fifth joint point that we are at. We need somehow to wake up collectively, not reactively, not tribally, not I'm good and you are bad or I'm bad. Okay. But we need a curious, accepting, loving, motivated toward value states of being mm. meta observer. That's wise to integrate us toward the future. And we need to know where we are. So Utah tells us you're at the fifth joint point folks. And it's scary and we may not make it through. Let's be honest. We may all die. Yeah. Okay. And that's scary. Mm. But ultimately, if enough of us collectively wake up, we can make this transition and we can make it wisely. So that's my last open mic. And I want to get Com Ammo flashlights and this map into people's heads so we can actually be like, oh, this is where we are. And we might be able with the right map and the right set of principles and processes to get to the other side more effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for that. I think it's a really powerful message that um, all of us can sort of relate to and learn from. Um, and it'll take a lot of, you know, I think education and, you know, populating this message for people to think about it. Um, it is a big idea. You know, it's not something that, that you probably talk uh, about on the daily with other people. Um, so we appreciate you coming on and your energy and, you know, sharing all this knowledge with us, not just about the Calm MO me uh, method and approach, but also um, the message about you talk. I think that's that's new, new information to a lot of our audience. So hopefully this will you know, start um, the conversations. It, it's going to start somewhere, right? So that's the most important thing. But thank you for being here. And um, I think since you have so much to talk about, hopefully we'll have you back some other time and talk about another aspect of you talk, perhaps. Lovely, Lou. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the insights you've shared. Uh, and I've really enjoyed being here with you. You have been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights Podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. 
More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website, we.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Lungo. Thanks for tuning in.